Hear the word of the Lord, as it is written in James, chapter 5, reading from verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call on the church elders and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil of the, in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it may not rain. For the next three years and six months, it did not rain, and did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave the rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from the death and will cover a multitude of sins. Uh, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, just when you thought you had escaped. <laughs> and uh, very given a nice uh, welcome by uh, Wade. But uh, when Jared uh, just uh, sent out a text saying that he was unable to preach and could anybody um, help him, uh, everybody else was busy. So, um, <laughs> so it's, uh, thank you. Can we have a cup of Can we have a cup of coffee together afterwards? <laughs> okay, let me pray. Father, thank you for the fact that you are such a gracious God that you and your mercy have looked down upon us, uh, even as in our form and state of uh, rebellion against you. And because of your great love and your mercy and your kindness, you saved us. You saved us from ourselves. You saved us from the world. You saved us from the devil. And Father, we delight to be your children. We love you because of what you have done and who you are. And we pray that as we spend time having a look at your word this morning, that you would graciously minister to us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, I thought I would just, some of you, hopefully, uh, I can think of one person who was here when I preached the sermon, but uh, I got to the end of James, if, if anybody was interested in that, uh, at uh, Maidavell, and so I thought I'd give you the conclusion uh, of that book today. So I hope uh, uh, none of you mind my doing that. Uh, as you know, as you're aware of the fact that uh, James is a very practical book, and so it's interesting that as he comes to the end of the book, he's talking about prayer. And so why should he be talking about prayer at the end of the book? Well, he's talking about prayer at the end of the book because in many ways, the Christian life is submission to God, isn't it? So, I mean, you know, he's, he's our Lord, he's our Savior, we are to submit ourselves to him. And so when we do not pray, we are saying we can do it in and of ourselves. We have the abilities, we have the gifts, we have the understanding. God, we really don't need you. But when we pray, 
What we are saying is we are desperately, we desperately need you to lead, to guide, to empower, to uh, deliver us from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so it's quite appropriate then that when James comes to this last section, verse uh, 13 to verse 20, that we've had read to us a little bit earlier, uh, it's quite appropriate that he ends with prayer. Because that's what it's all about. In the end, we can talk about the Christian life. We can talk about all these things. But if we are not uh, submitting to, to God and his sovereignty, then we're going to accomplish nothing. So hope you got one of those outlines. I forgot, I forgot to give them out. So, uh, thanks, Kubis, for doing that. So you can have, follow me on that outline there. So we had a little, little bit of a, an introduction there. So have a look at big point number one there, the general introduction to prayer. So let me read that to you, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him, or in the NASB, he must, or the CSB, he should, pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And so what is the context here? So in James 5, verse 7 to 12, James has been teaching about patience and steadfastness in suffering. And in James 5.13, James again uses the same word for suffering as he did with the suffering of the prophets in James 5.10. So the context is one, it is suffering, but the kind of suffering is not specified. So when we think about the prophets, how did the prophets in the Old Testament suffer? Well, they suffered in a variety of ways. So it's a broad context of suffering that uh, James is addressing here. Secondly, pray in times of suffering. Do you see that? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him, or he must, or he should pray. So James has already taught that we should not grumble, okay, because that's not the appropriate life. If God is sovereign, if he's ruling over all things, he will be allowing certain things to come across our path. Our natural response is to grumble, is to rebel, is to say, I don't like this, I don't want this, why is this happening to me? So James already taught that we are not to grumble when suffering, but we are to be patient and we are to be steadfast. And patience really is one of the, the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And so therefore, Christians are to pray for patience, which God graciously works in our hearts and minds by his Spirit. And so he has allowed these trials. Remember, uh, the folk who go to Mayville, at the beginning of uh, James, he talks about, you know, trials are going to come across our path. That's how it is. That's life. You will never, never, ever escape trials. Everybody will be exposed to trials. And why does God allow trials? Well, he allows trials for our benefit, for our good, for our growth, for our development, our maturity. That's why he allows them. And he is in control of all that. It's not that he's not out of control, therefore disaster strikes us, or we go through a time of trial. He is absolutely in that. And he's trying to show us we need actually to depend on him for all the resources to, to take us through these times of trial and come out more holy, more godly in the end. So we pray in times of suffering. But lest we think that that's the only time we should pray, God also calls us to pray in times of blessing. Do you see that? Is anyone cheerful? Verse 13c, let him sing praise. He is to sing praises to God. And so... I don't know about you, but it's easier to pray during times of suffering than uh, during times of joy and happiness, okay? So on holiday, 
it's a bit of a challenge to make sure that I'm praying every day and trying to, to uh, come to terms with actually, even on holiday, I need to submit to God's will and plans and purposes. And, you know, holiday, what can go wrong? <laughs> and uh, so if you're like me, you battle with these things. And so blessings can often make us complacent, and we frequently forget to praise God with thanks. And in many ways, we like the ten lepers in the story that Jesus gives. Remember, the, uh, the ten lepers come along, and uh, they need to be healed, and he heals all ten. Well, how many people come back and praise God? I mean, yeah, you've got, yeah, you've got, you've got the significant event that has taken place in their life. Sometimes it's not always clear as to what leprosy was meant. But if it was true leprosy as we know it today, I mean, these folk were outcasts. You were cut off from society. They'd live in caves. They'd, they'd live in special areas where people would take food to them. They weren't part and parcel of society. They couldn't work. They couldn't have families. They were ostracized, Okay. And you think to yourself, such a grand thing has taken place. Of course I want to go and thank him. No, no. Nine didn't thank him. Only one thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. What? <laughs> so and we like that as well. You know, you pray heartily. God, please deliver me. Please help me through this. Whatever it is. I mean, the crisis is over. That's what I deserve. I need to be delivered from all these things. And forget to praise God for his graciousness in our lives. So one, the general introduction to prayer. Then prayer for in dealing with the sick. Is anyone among you sick? Yet him, or he must, or he should, call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save, or it will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And so, first of all, note these things. The elders of the church ought to be called. So note the reference to the plurality of elders in the text there. So it's good, and I think that that's where Westminster uh, Presbyterian Church is. We, we have a plurality of elders. It protects you from, from people who have a Messiah complex and uh, lead some of these churches. And you have a plurality of elders. That's a good thing. Secondly, the elders are not to be called for coughs and colds, but rather in instances of significant suffering. So, you know, give the elders a break when you can. <laughs> and uh, the calling of the elders not, does not invalidate a person going to a doctor. So uh, the elders of the church ought to be called. Secondly, the initiative, interestingly enough, lies with the sick person. Do you see that? Is any among you sick? Have a look at the text there. Let him... Yes, well done. Uh, is anyone among you sick? Let him, or he must, or he should, call the, for the elders of the church. So the initiative lies with the person who is going through this time of trial. And so in response to God's word, those who are suffering are to call for the elders of the church for prayer and for support. And why the elders? Well, thirdly, because God placed the pastoral care of the church in the hands of the elders. And so in Acts 20, verse 28, where Paul is addressing the Ephesian uh, elders, he says this, Acts 20, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves, he's speaking to the elders of the Ephesian church, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Do you see that? Which he obtained with his own blood. So the elders have a responsibility as under-shepherds to care for the people within the context of the church. Fourthly, 
The ministry is usually conducted in the privacy of the home or hospital. So it's a more intimate thing. We, we, we get together and we talk about things. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about uh, presently what the kind of things we need to address when we get together like that. Fifthly, the call is first made to the elders and not to the person with the gift of healing. And so, you know, there are so many churches, I think, which actually... Uh, promote the gift of healing and the people who claim to have the gift of healing. And I don't want to go there. I don't want to go into all that. But you see, the first responsibility is not with the person who's got the gift of the healing. Okay? The first responsibility is for those who are given the responsibility of looking after the people in the church. Okay? Whatever happens after that is another thing. But it's first to the elders because it's their uh, responsibility before God, as I think clearly uh, is... Uh, is uh, taught in the scriptures. So ultimately, the elders are to care for the congregation, and it is God's order for the churches, and therefore, he will work principally through the elders. Okay, they need to be overseeing, they need to be they understand what's going on, they need to be directing what should happen and take place in particular circumstances. Sixthly, the emphasis is on the prayer of faith. You see that? That him or he must or he should call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save or restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. So what is this anointing all about? Well, the anointing uh, of the Christian with oil is all about uh, a carryover in many senses from the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, uh, the, the prophets, the priests, the kings were anointed with oil. Now, it's not the oil that made these people prophets, priests, and kings. So there's nothing magic about the oil. So we've got to get away from that, okay? So the reason why they're anointed with oil is because it is a symbol indicating that these people were set aside by God. That's the issue. These people are set aside by God for a specific purpose. So he sets them aside to be prophets, priests, or kings, and in James, the purpose uh, would be the healing of the person. And it's not, just, it's not just the physical body, the literal body, as we talk about healing, I'm sick, I've got a cold, or whatever it is. But it's physical healing, it's psychological healing, it's spiritual healing. You see, the Christian faith is holistic. It's not just one aspect that we deal with here. It's holistic. We are one, we are part. And the healing needs to take place in the whole person, Okay. And so as the healing, as the anointing takes place, the anointing of a person is to symbolize to that person that here are the elders, the leaders who are responsible for the church, they are there to show that they represent God, okay? God has called for this. God has mandated this. The elders come in. They pray for the person. And it's an indication that these people are God's representative and they are here to pray for me that God's will may be done in my life. See that? Whatever his will might be. And so it's an official thing which takes place in the context of people suffering. And then the prayer of the elders. You see, the prayer should be in the name of the Lord. Do you see that? <clears throat> And so to pray in the name of the Lord is to pray according to his will. That's what it means. So consider the following text, for instance. In, uh, uh, Jesus said in, in, in uh, Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received and it will be yours. 
So, so one can easily go to the text like that and say, okay, well, I believe that, and, and so therefore I'm going to be healed, okay? I'm going to have a Ferrari, I'm going to have whatever, I have all the kind of things I want. I just believe it and I've got it. And there are people, Paul Yonggi-cho and all those guys over in uh, South Korea uh, and other people, they will actually tell you how you are to, to visualize your Ferrari and uh, do you want a hard top or do you want a <laughs> convertible and uh, what color and what type and whatever. And you visualize and you bring that into being, okay? And I'll use text like this. But that's a, that's a manipulation of the text because the Bible also teaches. And if you go to 1 John 5, 14, it also teaches this. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Isn't that the loving thing that we would expect from God? I mean, as parents, do we just give our kids whatever they want, Okay. I want to go and play in the street. Okay, we'll go and play in the street. Go and play in the busy road. I don't care where you are. Just go out, come home when you like, eat whatever you like. Go to school if you like, don't go to school. What? We, know, we don't do that. And it's because we love the kids, our kids, that, that we actually try and do the best for them. And God is saying the same thing. I love you. I dearly love you. Come to me and pray. But you must... You must ask things according to my will, because my will is the perfect way for your life. You cannot better my will for your life. And so submit to me. Walk in my ways. Do what I tell you to do. And you cannot lead a richer life than by doing that. So this means that our prayers are to be aligned with and in harmony with the will of God. And we have his will revealed. Where? We have his will revealed in the Bible. And so we know from God's word that uh, what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. Therefore we lay our request before him saying, if the Lord wills. That's what uh, James had been talking about a little bit earlier in the book. If the Lord wills and we submit to him who delights in our good. He delights in our good. He wants good for us. We question God sometimes. We say, these are happening because actually, you know, I'm out of favor with you or whatever it might be. We are God's children. He delights in us. We are especially precious to him. He wants the best things for our lives. The best thing for our life is not necessarily comfort, okay, which we would love to have. <laughs> Give me comfort, 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 okay? We can make a song of that very easily, okay? He's not principally interested in our comfort. He's interested and concerned about our holiness because there's no greater thing to have than to be holy and to walk in his ways and be godly in our lifestyle. Okay, then the prayer of faith examined. Well, the prayer of faith does not necessarily uh, result in immediate healing. Secondly, the prayer of faith is not given for every situation. So you think of, of the New Testament, you think of the Acts of the Apostles and uh, Paul's writings, and you think of Peter going up to the temple. And as he goes up to the temple, here's a guy uh, who is, is lame. And the guy says, well, g please, give me, give me uh, some money. You know, I, I'm dependent on people like you coming along and, and being generous to me. So let me just read, read the little section from Acts 3.6. But Peter said... I have no silver and gold, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. So Peter and John are walking up and here's this beggar. 
and he's crippled, can't walk. And somehow or other, Peter doesn't say, let's talk about this and, and I'm going to pray about this and, and whatever. He is overwhelmed with a sense of this is God's will. That I should say to this man, stand up and walk. And the guy gets up and he walks immediately. See that? And when you think in contrast then with the Apostle Paul, and so, you know, it's weighing one against another. I mean, they're both heavyweights in the New Testament. Uh, Paul was not given the faith to be healed. So let me read a little section to you from 2 Corinthians 12, 8 to 9. He says, this is Paul saying, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, I, that uh, it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. So you see, he's not saying that he doesn't hear. He doesn't say that I don't love you. He doesn't say that he doesn't care. But he says, I've got a far better plan for you than your being healed of your, your whatever the complaint was that Paul was suffering from. It was obviously a severe thing. You will be a better person because you go through this difficulty. You'll be a better person for that. And you will be a worse person if I would intervene now and heal you. We don't think like that. We don't think like that. No, that's crazy. But you see, God is God. And we question the goodness of God. We question his love for us. We question the fact that we are God's treasured possession. Treasured. We can never question his will for our lives. We make ourselves out to be God. We make ourselves to be better than he and know better than, than uh, uh, that we know better than he does. And so only where the Lord wills healing will he inspire such faith as Peter had in that context of uh, uh, the temple. And what is a cause of sickness? Well, there are cases where there's a direct relationship between sin and sickness and uh, you see that in verse 15b where he says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So Paul, in the context of communion, states that God sent sickness to discipline Christians as recorded in 1 Corinthians 11. And we'll have that a little bit, uh, we'll have that presently. So we've got to be careful how we come to communion, okay? And so he says that some people have come in an inappropriate manner to communion, and uh, there are consequences for that. And so Paul says in uh, verse 20, 29 and 30, he says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, okay, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So it's not just, you know, I'm coming along and I'm having a little bit of grape juice and I'm having some bread and, you know, I just remember Jesus. Yes, thank you, Jesus, that you died 2,000 years ago. That's not what a sacrament is about, okay? And he says if, you, if you're not discerning, and there are various things that we need to keep in mind when we come to communion, then actually you can bring judgment upon yourself. And what are the judgments? That is why he says, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. What? what? Some have died. Why? Because they came in an inappropriate manner to communion. You can die? Yes. That's what teaching the scriptures all about and so the elders are to seek to help the person establish whether sin is the cause of of uh, or, or sickness is the cause of sin okay so that's one element that goes for all of us but there are cases where sickness is not due to to direct sin but it's, it's basically due to the fact that we live in a fallen world and we are in adam and the world is fallen 
And so the Bible teaches that not all sickness is directly due to a person's sin. And so in John 9, verse 22 and 3, uh, uh, the disciples uh, asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? And they have the blind man. Remember that? Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. And Jesus answered, it is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And you see, that goes for us as well. Various things happen to us. We say we want deliverance from this. And God is saying, actually, that's not my plan and purpose for you. Actually, there's another reason for this. Okay? And the same with Job. Job, Job didn't experience all that sickness and, and the terrible suffering he went through because actually he was a sinful person. It was the opposite. He was a godly person. So we've got to be careful that we weigh these things up. That's why it's, I think it's important for the elders to be involved in these things. Not that we're perfect, not that we've got, we've got uh, you know, infallible understanding of, of what's going on, but it helps to have folk there and a group of people to talk about these things, trying to work these things through before God. Then confessing to one another in prayer. Do you see that verse 16? Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And so the therefore links... Uh, this uh, verse with the previous verses, and now James moves from the particular to the general. He says he's talking about the elders and what should happen. Then he goes to the general. How should you, sitting in the pew of chairs, they're very nice chairs. <laughs> uh, we are happy to swap you with some. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> he moves. He moves from. <laughs> He moves from, from the elders and the involvement in all this, and he moves to the general. Okay? That's what he's doing here in this verse, in 16a. And so uh, this is a responsibility then of every Christian. And so what is the rationale behind this? Since confession of sin, this is a basic thing we're looking at here. Since confession of sin and the prayer of faith bring healing, Christians should confess their sins to each other and pray for each other. See that? So you're moving from the elders and the responsibility of the elders to the mindset of the people in the church. How should we conduct ourselves in a fallen world? And so we understand we're all sinners. We all have to be saved by grace alone. And so sin affects, and this is what the big point is, I think, here. Sin affects the well-being of every Christian person in a variety of ways. So we need to be diligent, and we need to guard our relationships with each other, and especially our relationship with God. If we don't guard our relationships with one another and our relationship with God, that will impact us negatively. You see that? There are consequences for these things. And it's not just direct sickness that you go down with something. But it could be psychological. It could be spiritual. It's a holistic thing that takes place. And so what happens when we glorified? Well, all these things are taken care of. We become a whole in body, in mind, in spirit. We become complete. Okay, We become what we were before. And what destroys these things? The one thing that destroys these things and brings consequences upon us is sin. It's broken relationships with one another, and it's a broken relationship or grieving God, okay? And there are the consequences for that in our lifestyle. 
And James has previously mentioned that we practice partiality by honoring the rich and, and, and uh, neglecting the poor, that we hear God's word and do not do his bidding, that our fallen nature and the devil lead our tongues to disgrace ourselves and dishonor our Father in heaven. We find it easier to focus on the temporal world than on eternity with God. We boast in our abilities to determine our own affairs. These are the things that he's been talking about. We are quick to criticize others and slow to forgive them. Well, you see, if, if this is in the church, there are going to be consequences for the body of Christ. Why? Because God wants to make us aware this is unacceptable to him. So the great commandments, what is a Christian faith all about? Love the Lord your God, heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's Christianity. It's all about relationships. And you're in a good relationship, a godly relationship with God, trying to seek to honor him and please him. Or you're not, even as a Christian person. And you're taking your Christian walk in life in a very casual way. And so these are amongst the typical sins that mark our footsteps. And so prayer and confession and forgiveness and the constant attention to healthy relationships are to be the mark of the church. They're to be the mark of this church. They're to be the mark of the Maidavell church. Okay? More than anything else. Okay? Relationships, that's everything. That's a Christian faith. It's not complicated. You're in a relationship with God or you're not. It's all about relationships. And this will bring constant and general healing to the church. We will be far better people because we concentrate on relationships. We will be far better people. That's what God is saying. And this is a reason why communion is of critical importance, which I've mentioned already. It's important for the health and the well-being of the church. Okay? And it is through following the principles laid down in communion that the church becomes spiritually healthy. Then big point number three there, the effectiveness of the right per, uh, uh, righteous person's prayer. So first of all, the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. He says that in verse 16b, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The NASB, I think, makes it clearer, where it says, the effective prayer of a righteous person can accomplish much. Okay? The prayer of a righteous person can accomplish much. That's what he's saying. Now, he's coming to the end of the whole book now, and he wants you to focus on prayer. He wants us to focus on prayer. The prayer, and he's saying, of a righteous person, understand this, can accomplish much. And then he talks about it. So the righteous, well, who is righteous? That's what we've got to be clear, clear about. And so the, the righteous are those people who say to themselves, I by nature am a sinner. It's not that I just sin, but I am a sinner by nature. Secondly, they have repented of their sins. Thirdly, they have trusted in Jesus Christ as their substitute for the forgiveness of all their sins. That's a righteous person, not because we are, we are good in and of ourselves, but because of what Christ has done for us. And how much can be accomplished by the righteous through prayer? And James gives us an illustration from Elijah the prophet. And so, first of all, he was an ordinary human being like us. That's what we are told here. And after his triumph on Mount Carmel, remember he goes up there and he has this uh, contest with the prophets of Baal. What happens immediately after that? Well, Jezebel puts out a, a, an order for for, you know, his death, okay? So he hears about it, and what does he do? This is to show that he's just like us. Well, he flees. He flees from Jezebel, who called for his death. That's the first thing he does. Then the second thing is, he was so distressed and depressed that he asked God to take his life. I mean, 
that's pretty severe depression, hey? So you think to you, oh, boy, Elijah. Oh, if I could only be like Elijah. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, well, you know. You just pick the points in his life. Eh? <laughs> so that's the second thing. So the guy is just so depressed he doesn't know what to do with himself. And then the third thing was he was so disillusioned about his ministry that he believed that he was the only faithful Jew left in Israel. Isn't it interesting? It's amazing stuff. So yes, he was a man with a nature just like us. We go through times of trial. We can't put him up on a pedestal and say, look, oh, we could only be like him. These are the things he endured, okay? He's a with a man with a nature just like us, who suffered from weaknesses just like us. And what was accomplished through Elijah's diligent prayer? You see, these, James is pushing the prayer thing here. Well, the outcome of his prayer was that there was a drought in Israel for three and a half years, and uh, what was achieved was not because he was a prophet, or that he had supernatural gifts as a prophet. You see, that's not where James is putting the emphasis, but rather the fact that he prayed fervently, and he prayed in harmony with the will of God. And so Elijah was a righteous man, he prayed earnestly, and he witnessed remarkable outcomes through prayer. Are you righteous today? Do you understand that you are a sinner before God by nature? Have you repented of your sin? Have you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your substitute, the only deliverer that we could ever have? Well, you're righteous. And if you're righteous, you can pray. And how should you pray? You pray according to the will of God. You pray according to the Bible. And what can we anticipate and expect from that? He is telling us you can expect great things. You can expect great things. Despite all your weaknesses as Elijah had. And so if we are righteous and seek to live righteous lives, if we pray earnestly according to God's will, then God's treasured people will witness God's treasured people. We are God's treasured people. We are not an ordinary group of people. We are God's treasured people. God's treasured people who witness God's working in remarkable ways. So as we pray earnestly according to the will of God, we can expect to see healing of relationships, vertical and horizontal, healing of those who are troubled in spirit, healing of the physical sick directly or indirectly. Therefore, James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And it's not necessarily a perfectly healing because we're not in a perfect world. But relationships, how we relate to one another, is going to affect our body, our body, the well-being of our body, our spirit, our, our minds, the way in which we, uh, the, 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 whole, the whole of our being. And then fourthly, very quickly then, the critical importance of reaching out with the gospel to the wanderers. You see that, 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders or strays from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from the wandering or the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So the wanderer and the church, my brothers, if any among you, well, what does that mean? So it's, it's important to try and work out who the, these wanderers are, okay? So... Uh, that the wanderer is among believers at church does not mean that the wanderer is necessarily a Christian or that the wanderer is a Christian. Okay? And most people have, 
have, have people in their congregations who do not believe themselves to be Christians. They, they would be open to that. I, I'm not a Christian, okay? Or churches have people who believe themselves to be Christians, but in reality they're not Christians. I, was, I used to go to church before I was converted. Well, school I went to, I had it seven times a week. And uh, I'm not a Christian. So that's, that's the nature of the church. And so the central issue for the church is this. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. So the truth is what? The truth is the gospel. And the nature of the gospel is given to us in the Bible, which is called the word of truth. That's the truth that you wander from. This wanderer hasn't got a grasp on the truth. And in essence, uh, uh, um, and, and I've said this before, in essence, the gospel is by nature, we're all under the wrath of God, but God has provided a savior, Jesus, who delivers us from the consequence of our sin. And this was achieved through Jesus' death on the cross as our substitute. Jesus took God's wrath for our sin upon himself. Therefore, we are not saved through any works of our own, but by believing in Christ as savior. The wanderer did not believe that. See that? And therefore, he does not manifest, or she does not manifest, Christian fruit. So what is the spiritual condition of the wanderer? Well, you see, the wanderer, if, you, if you're not a Christian person, you have, as he says there, a multitude of sins. Not one, not two. Look, you know, three or four, maybe a thousand over the course of my life. A multitude of sin. Remember that... Uh, uh, one example where uh, they talk about how many sins have you got, how many sins have you committed in one day? Can you, do you commit three, three sins in one day? So in uh, three sins, if you do three a year, you've got a thousand, and then you multiply it by the number of years that you've lived. And uh, for older people, it doesn't look good, okay? <laughs> it, it, it looks bad, okay? So cover a multitude of sins. See, so we note the three things from this condition. He has wandered away from the gospel. His soul, not, his, not talking about his body, is in a state of death. That's the consequence of sin. And he is accountable for this multitude of sins. He is not forgiven and therefore in a critical position. So it's, it's reasonable to conclude that this person was never a Christian, but only identifying with Christians at church. And so what in the end, right at the beginning of the book of James, what in the end is James going to say? He's talked about the fact right the way through how we as Christian people should conduct ourselves. And we need to conduct ourselves in uh, accordance with the word of God. We need to be godly Christian people. We need to be light in our lives. But the other thing is, we are to be looking out for the wanderer. In other words, the, uh, the book of James is not just focusing on how to live a godly Christian life, but part and parcel of living the Christian life is this great concern for reaching out to those who do not understand. And this is delightful, what you guys are going to do in a couple of weeks' time. You're going to get together. You're going to put some posters up. You're going to put some leaflets in people's boxes, inviting them to church because these folk don't know the gospel. And they need to come to an understanding of the gospel. And James is saying, as he concludes, these are the great things. Live a godly life. And make sure that you're always reaching out to those who do not know the Lord Jesus. And so that's how it concludes. And that's why I think those two things are uppermost in our minds. Godly living 
and a great concern for the lost. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for uh, your truth and so thank you for the uh, way in which uh, you have uh, graciously given us this truth, the gospel. And we pray, Father, that we would treasure the gospel above all else. So thank you for the time we've had together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.